0: And here we are. I never thought we would get here to this point. Well, maybe I did. We've, we've gone the long way around. It was a, a long road getting from there to here, or here to there. I've used that joke already in the last day or two. Uh, but here we are. We are at the season finale of Star Trek Pickard. Mr. Pickard!
1: Yes. John Luck Pickard has reached his end
0: in more ways than one
1: that is very very true
0: and uh, anyways if you've just now tuning in to this this you know reaction episode uh, I think and I hope it goes without saying but just just for funsies I'm gonna put it out there this is not a spoiler free discussion We are going to be spoiling upon spoiling spoiled food that's been spoiled. That's how spoilery we're going to be getting with this discussion.
1: Yes, yes. Um, If you have not watched this episode, press stop on this recording right now.
0: Yeah, we're only like a minute into this recording of this podcast. Yeah,
1: press press stop and come back in an hour once you've watched this episode.
0: Or three, or whatever. Whatever you got to do to... To process because this episode is chock full of moments, um, certainly some feels here and there throughout this episode, and uh, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about it and see where it takes us. There
1: are definitely some moments that will hit you right in the feels.
0: Yes, for good and bad. That that's accurate. That's like most TV. That's like <laughs> most Star Trek, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> kind of, I guess. Uh, yeah, anyway, not, not
1: all TV hits you right in the feels. Not all TV does that.
0: That's true. That's true. Anyway, well, anyways, we are here. Like I said before, like a minute ago, we, here we are at... The, the season one finale of Star Trek Picard has been a long time coming. We've known that there's going to be the Star, the Star Trek Picard series since August of 2018 when it was announced at the 2018 um, Star Trek Las Vegas uh, convention. And, you know, we've we've seen this. We've seen all the teasers. We've had emotions leading up to it. And now we've watched the 10th and, and final episode of this this first season and I want to get it right this time. I butchered it in the last episode. Et in Arcadia Ego Part 2. I said I said something completely different when we were having this discussion. So Et in Arcadia Ego Part Two. Here we go. Well are. that
1: was be- that was better than the Will Wheaton blooper track.
0: Oh my god, I loved <laughs> that was, the mess. That was funny. I, I was rolling <laughs> listening to that. And so here's the thing, guys. If you don't know this also Apart from CBS All Access having Star Trek Picard, there are also, of course, clips, um, certain segments taken from the show that are kind of highlighted. But there's also like a weekly thing that I know Eric and I have talked about before uh, called The Ready Room. It's where Will Wheaton, uh, Wesley Crusher, uh, sits down and talks with the creative team and the actors and stuff like that behind this show. So um, this this particular Ready Room that he hosted for this uh, last episode was with Patrick Stewart and um, Allison Pill. So check it out if you haven't already. If you didn't know about it, then go back and watch all 10 Ready Rooms if you really want to.
1: Yeah, they're fun. They're fun. They give some really good insight that can help you uh, kind of understand what's going on in these episodes.
0: Yeah, I'm a little salty, though, because I think it was the first episode of the Ready Room that I think it was Akiva Goldsman was doing a sit-down with Will, and I loved his shirt. It's like this black shirt with the Starfleet Delta and it doesn't look like the like the current era delta but just it looks really cool and I tweeted him like, "Hey, where'd you find it?" and he never tweeted me back, man. I want to know where that shirt is. Mm.
1: That's a shame.
0: True story. True, True story. Well, um anyways, with that, let's let's kind of, you know, dive in and get to talking about this. And I just want—I want everyone to know, um, like all our episodes before, whether it's it's the main show, it's the news segments, or it's engage. These are our opinions, and they are ours alone. And if, however, you feel about this episode, this season, um, or just Star Trek in general, that's okay. You know, we can feel very passionate about this this fandom and this franchise and that's okay so uh, just keep that in mind um, as you listen to this and if, especially if you go back and listen to the other Engage episodes so anything you want to add to that Eric before we really leave Space Doc
1: I think you said that well these are just the opinions of two people and take that for what you will Don't um, don't let us tell you this is the end all be all of what you have to think
0: No, we will not be the destroyer.
1: We definitely know. Nope.
0: No, and we are not in control.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I, you know, let's just let, let,
0: uh, let's, let's, okay, you know what? Let's go. Let's make it so. (laughs) Let's make it so. Engage. Okay, so, uh, two episodes in a row no flashback guys so again we just saved y'all 16 minutes of talking about a flashback so there we go no flashback
1: <laughs> totally unnecessary in this episode
0: pretty much I mean like we've talked about before flashbacks it's like this is what you need to know yo and like bat in like just info dump and we don't need that it's the last episode where we're in the final throes of of what we need to do in this particular story so
1: yeah we have yeah. all of the information we need to have the full picture of this story
0: true story that is a true story of this story True.
1: yes yes it is
0: very true story so anyways here we are where we're back right where we left off we're back on capelius and we're getting after it with uh with the the gold synth people the non-gold synth people and the crew of the lost serena
1: yes yes um where does this episode even start i'm like where did like where does this one start and where did the last one end um shoot what's the opening scene <laughs> <So> <laughs> this the- is bad this is bad hosting if i can't remember the opening scene <laughs> wow
0: well, so the the last one ended with Picard being on house arrest. He was being carted away by um, some some gold synths and basically put in um, pretty sure it was Bruce Maddox's um, old room and was just left there, basically. Okay,
1: so so this episode opens with Soji coming to talk to him in his confinement, right?
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah, and she's yeah. You see, you see Soji walk up some stairs, and she sticks her eyeball next to this little light, you know, ring doorbell thing. The retinal scanner. And goes right in. Mm -hmm.
1: And they have a talk here. Yeah, and there's some good there's some good moments in this talk here, right? Where Soji is still trying to expound on this idea of, hey. Um, we have to protect ourselves, and we, we have the right to exist, and I don't see any other way out of this situation other than activating this beacon and calling these advanced synthetics.
0: Yeah. And I guess to, to kind of back up just a little bit, if I'm remembering this now, I, I'm pretty sure actually that this show started, this particular episode started with um, being on the Borg Cube, With Elnor and Seven having that conversation, wasn't it?
1: Oh yeah, yeah that that I think that's right.
0: And they're they're talking to that
1: next. We'll go to that next.
0: Okay, that's fine. Let's let's
1: continue this discussion with Soji and Picard here.
0: Timeline let's just forget about the timeline round. This is no time to talk about time. We don't have the time. We don't have the
1: time. Okay. And then like how did you like how Picard responded to Soji saying Right. I don't see any other alternative. We have no other choice.
0: I mean, you always have a choice. There's always a choice on how you respond to something, even if it goes against your own nature, right? Like, that that's the thing that... And I'm sorry that I keep bringing my work into this, but, like, that's the thing that I work with my clients on all the friggin' time is you have a choice in how you respond. You know... in in what you choose to do we call that like that's some of the work that we do with cognitive behavioral therapy is you can't control how other people respond but you can control how you respond and how you react to something Um, so that's there's always a choice and I loved what Picard said about you know that sounds like a failure of imagination and that's the thing like like Soji is supposed to be this Soji Dodge you know all the 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 upgraded regular non-gold synths are supposed to be like the pinnacle of of imagination and creativity and synthetic and organic combined. And she should be able to have imagination. So she's choosing to not be imaginative in this moment. No, I
1: think I think that's that's very well said. Um, so the synths. They don't have a choice on how the Romulans responded to the admonition and the coming fear of the synthetics. But That's right. we here on Capellia Station have a choice of how we're going to respond to learning about this information. Whether our choice Absolutely. be whether our choice be to, you know, activate this beacon and call them forward, or our choice be to kind of forgive the Romulans for they know not what they do
0: basically yeah that's that's really what it boils down to and when you're hurt you you're not gonna think about this altruistic you know um, evolved uh, morality like we hear Picard talk about um, throughout his lifespan basically especially whenever he's talking to Lily in first contact you know like they're not they're not that evolved in this sense or at least they're not thinking about that because again when you're hurt you're responding out of out of pain and, and just raw emotion. And
1: well, you, well, I think everyone here is responding out of fear throughout this entire situation. Oh, yeah. Right? The Romulans are responding out of fear. The synthetics are responding out of fear. And fear is a powerful emotion, right? It can really shut off your ability to think. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm not the the brain scientist, but... I think fear is a very powerful emotion that, like, can override all of your other emotions.
0: Part of part of fear is there's been a need that you've had in the past that's gone unmet. So, the thing that's driving, like, anger, is fear because your there there's been this need that's been unmet and you anticipate it being met and it wasn't. So there's fear, then there's anger that's kind of all wrapped up into one and. You know, again, I'm, I'm sorry for you guys listening, but like some of the work that I do with, with folks in real life is like whenever you're having those moments of, of anger or whatever it might be, and like you just like want to like deck someone or cause pain on someone, I'm like, okay, we need to slow things down. I want you to say this. I legitimately say this to, to people, Eric. I'm like, I need you to say either out loud or in your head, shields up, red alert. <laughs> I, I legit say that to my clients and I'm like I don't care what you say you can say pineapple you can say you know white flag I don't care what you say but just say shields up red alert right now to get yourself thinking about okay this is happening right now I'm hurting I, I, I say that I might fail or that they're just they're just trying to hurt me but how can we change that narrative like, we're trying to, to, like, draw up some defenses and alert ourselves to some nonsense that's going on in our head. So that's where we challenge these thoughts. And that's the, I think that's, like, the the main thing is, like, when we're dealing with fear is how in the world can we slow our mind down and respond more logically? Because when we're, when we're driven by fear and emotion, our brain is juice and we can't think clearly. Sorry, that was a long diatribe, but the no, fact remains I think the that's,
1: same. I think that's perfectly appropriate for this situation. I think that really gives you a sense of how everyone is feeling here, and I don't mean to jump around, and we're already going to be jumping around, there's this point or later in the episode where Picard and Jurati, they're going to get back to the La Serena, and they are going to lift off, and Picard says that, you know, these synths might be evolved, but in a sense, they're still children, right? And They don't have experience, and they haven't. The only people that have been able to teach them anything are two mad scientists, essentially. And right, we need to somehow teach them that there are other alternatives and there are other ways to deal with things because they are they are young and they are emotionally immature in a sense. Yeah. And and then Girardi says, "Well, how do we teach them that in six minutes?" And he says, well, the only way you can teach children is through experience. And you can show them that not everybody has to be afraid. Not everybody has to lash out in anger. And I, Jean-Luc Picard, who have all of this experience dealing with these situations, right, I will, tr- I will show them a better way. I will show them that they don't have to fight. They don't have to act out of fear and anger. And if necessary, I will give my life to show you and to teach you that lesson.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, two very very good points, you know, with, you know, what we're seeing with the synths and what Picard is is trying to to do and be an example or set the example right later on in the episode. So uh, I think that's appropriate. I mean, it, yeah, it's jumping around a smidge, but it's perfectly perfectly fine, perfectly fine. So. Uh, but yeah, like like all these these things, like we're getting. I think there's like maybe two or three kind of like locations that are kind of having their own stories throughout this to a certain extent and uh, so yeah we we kind of started talking about like the compound and like Soji and Picard's interaction but then we also have uh, like I was saying uh, just a few minutes ago we also have the interaction with Seven and Elnor and talking about like the XBs and he's like and Seven's like I'm an XB like I don't have a home like what do you want me to do like where am I gonna go yeah she says
1: should I have just uh should I have just killed myself
0: and then he's saying no no I'd miss you too much
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah I've only known you for a week but I would miss you too much
0: yeah now, you and I have been we've gone camping together. We've we've done a lot of things together in our youth. And like there are a couple mountaintop moments I can remember. You know, like coming back from like like the trainings that we would go to or the conferences or whatever it might be. Whether it was, you know, formal like at a university or if it was informal like in the woods. And being put together with like some of our our buds our patrol mates or whatever. I can remember like missing the heck out of them, but I don't know if I'd have that strong of a reaction, you know, being with with my my tent mate after a week, you know? <laughs> like like Eleanor's yeah, apparently yeah, feeling yeah, towards yes, seven. But
1: but but um I think there's a, a fundamental difference is that we were not in a life and death situation. And I think no. I think certain extreme situations can can naturally lead to closer relationships and closer bonding
0: you know that makes me think here we go ramble time that makes me think about the tan patrol of um, at Camp palaco whenever the stick just randomly fell in the person's eye do you remember that and I the don't. kid almost went blind.
1: I don't. Was this the same patrol that um, left their propane tank on all week? Didn't turn it off, and the, mm. the, the and the group right across the the path like kept a fire going the whole time.
0: No, no, that was okay. Sorry guys, this that was 2002 when that one happened. This other one I think was like 2003 or four and anyways there's a there's a patrol so let me let me back up for a second that's a long in boy time Scout- ago
1: to try to remember
0: <laughs> in boy scouts we have this thing called patrol and it's made up of like you know five six seven boys and they kind of lead themselves basically and they all had their own campsites and I'm pretty sure you and I were on staff together when this happened now, that's okay that you don't remember it just was so stinking memorable because your mom I think was the acting medic when this happened and Anyway, they were just doing whatever they were doing on their own patrol time, and this this boy, or like whatever they were, I guess we were playing with sticks. But they, when they came and told us, um, they just said, "Oh yeah, this this limb it just fell out of the sky and it stuck him in the eye, and then we, they had to rush him to the hospital because like part of his cornea like was was jacked up, and he had to wear an eye patch the rest of the week and." He was probably gonna go blind in one eye or something. There was severe damage to his eyeball. So I'm wondering if the Tan Patrol from like two thousand three or four, like if they they drew closer to one another because of this air quotes life and death situation. <laughs> that I
1: happened. have no I have no memory of this whatsoever. Like wow. this seems like a pretty big thing that you would remember. <laughs> wow. I, yeah. I no no memory of that at all
0: <laughs> well there we go good talk everyone all right so mo- <laughs> moving <laughs> moving right yeah, moving, along
1: moving on like like i want to say something i said it last week i'm going to say it again a borg cube is enormous like i just want people to understand how big a borg cube is okay they are enormous.
0: So I found I found some some measurements to kind of back Eric up on this. Actually, we did not talk about the schematics, the sizing, any of that stuff pre-show. I promise you. So, a typical Borg cube has a volume of twenty-eight uh, cubed kilometers.
1: Twenty-eight cubic kilometers. Yeah,
0: cubic. Thank you, and. That's roughly 10,000 times the size of the Great Pyramid of Giza.
1: Okay, so 10,000 great pyramids yes. all stuck together. That's how big a board cube is. Yes. okay. And so Nerik just walks up to this thing after it's crashed on the planet. you know no no big dust cloud around it, right? No I, you know, listen, I don't know how hard it crashed into the planet how controlled this landing was, so we're not talking about extinction-level event, but... This- if this was- think of a meteor crashing into a planet, right? Maybe extinction-level event on this planet. I don't know. But, anyway, anyway, wait, whatever. Eleanor walks in here, and he walks in, and... as big as this thing is, people should not just be randomly bumping into each other.
0: Oh, you mean- you mean c- Narek? Yeah, yeah. You said, said no, Elnor, Elnor, for a second there. Well, Sorry. well,
1: El- Narek walks in and he walks Pat right behind Elnor and Seven of Nine. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what? Well, were they having that discussion? Like, but you could wander around for days inside a board cube and potentially not run into anybody. Mm-hmm. That's how big it is. But he's just—he walks right past Seven of Seven and Elnor, and then he's on a railing and. Boom! Narissa pops up right behind him. It's like, how convenient is it that they're all just... I know. Listen, it doesn't make for good narrative television if somebody is wandering around for forever and no one is there, unless that's the point and that you're supposed to be in isolation. But yeah, man, they find each other very quickly here. It just mm-hmm. kind of bugs me. I don't know. Kind of bugs yeah. me. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, and there. I didn't I didn't think that Narissa was going to be on this board cube because a couple of weeks ago when she was getting attacked it looked like she got beamed I thought she got beamed off the cube and onto one of these Romulan warbirds
0: and that's and that's what I was thinking too and so I guess that kind of not necessarily not necessarily a plot hole but either she got beamed aboard or beamed off right off off the artifact and on Either onto something else, or, and then put back on the artifact, or the Borg, the I'm sorry, the Xb, XBs uh, that were dogpiling her, just put her somewhere. For whatever reason.
1: Or, or she had like an emergency escape transporter that just transported her to some secure location somewhere on the Borg cube.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's still kind of weird because you know they're they're looking for each other, and Nerissa, Cersei Lannister's just wondering has has her brother slept with someone? Like, why why do you care about the carnal activity of your of your brother, man? Like, that's just kind of weird.
1: It, their whole relationship is just a little creepy. Like, it's creepy.
0: Yeah, so it's creepy. Just just a smidge.
1: Anyway, so they find each other, and uh, Nerick says, I'm going to go take some grenades and blow up some flowers. You stay here and try and get the weapon systems working.
0: Yeah. And anyway, so all this is more or less happened, like, pre-credits. And again, we're kind of spoiled in the credits with, like, who's going to show up.
1: Yeah, I, like... Why do they do this? Like, who thinks this is a good idea?
0: I can understand Brent.
1: No, Brent and Jerry. Spiner and Jerry Ryan, absolutely.
0: But why, why, why? Number one, why'd you have to, and, to say? And,
1: and he's the first. Per- it says, it, you know, special guest star Jonathan Frakes, special guest star Jerry Ryan, special guest star Brent Spiner, like in that order. Yeah. So it's like the very first one.
0: Like, Mm
1: -hmm. why do this? Like, are you just not thinking? Or do you just not care?
0: I don't know, dude. I don't know. But, like, I will say, I was happy when I saw it. That's for dang sure.
1: No, sure, but it wouldn't have been better if you didn't know he was going to show up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because, like, I I automatically knew, like, okay, he's either going to be back on Nepenthe, get some kind of, you know, incoming transmission, and then he's going to go do whatever, go or he's f- going to...
1: Go to the funeral.
0: Yeah. Or or we're going to get the Titan. And we'll talk about Jonathan Frake's um, appearance later on in this discussion. So let's not okay, spoil yeah. that too much right now.
1: Sure. Okay. So we go back to the La Arena after the credits and Rafi and Rios have a magical device that will fix their ship, fix everything that's wrong with the ship in five seconds. This is... This bugs me. This bugs me. I Listen, listen, who is it that was it, either Isaac Asimov or Arthur C. Clarke, one of those two said that advanced technology should be indistinguishable from magic, but this just feels like waving your magic wand, and boom, the whole ship is fixed in five seconds. I don't like it.
0: And see, this this is the thing, that I'm okay with this technology in another fandom, because this kind of technology in, does in exist.
1: Doctor Who, it's their in, sonic screwdriver or whatever. Yep,
0: yep, that's exactly... I, like,
1: I've never seen Doctor Who, but I've read somewhere online that people are comparing the two.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, when I saw this, you know, we saw it last week in episode 9, and here we are again in episode 10, I'm like, this is just the Star Trek version of the sonic screwdriver. And, listen, I'm a Whovian. I love Doctor Who, okay? Except for, you know, like, some issues here and there. But, like, the sonic screwdriver is part of, like, the Doctor, at least from, like, you know, around the second or third Doctor back in, like, the 60s and 70s when this when it first comes about. And, yes, it has been overused in Doctor Who, but this just seems odd. And I, I know that, that Alton Tsung and and the people on Capellius with Maddox and all them, they're they are dealing with like really advanced tech and they're really thinking outside the box and stuff. That's fine, 100% fine. But, you know, there's gotta be some reality to this. Like, I feel like we're in a way, in a way, moving away from sci-fi to sci-fantasy when this kind of stuff happens. And, and we certainly saw more sci-fantasy in the last season of discovery and I feel like it's been very even keel you know to to an extent with Star Trek Picard but it this this is so much a Star Trek sonic screwdriver Mm -hmm.
1: I like like this show I feel like has stolen I'm, I'm gonna legitimately say stolen a lot of ideas from a lot of other science fiction franchises and universes right um this sonic screwdriver idea, um, this whole thing gives me a total Battlestar Galactica vibe, right? Of the idea of all of this has happened before and all of this will happen again. And then I, I'm not familiar because I don't play video games. I haven't played a video game in 15 years, probably. Okay. Um, but a lot of people are saying that this storyline is taken from the Mass Effect video game series. And I've kind of read up about that, and I can kind of see where people are, are saying that.
0: And I, I haven't played Mass Effect, so I have no skin in the game when it comes to that, that argument.
1: Yeah, but but I mean, I feel like this definitely has taken a lot of ideas from other science fiction shows mm-hmm. and science fiction franchises.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, there's there's definitely some stuff, and you know sci-fi, I think, does inspire other sci-fi shows, but like to just outright you know, use and, and significantly borrow can be problematic. Again, like, for y'all listening, y'all might love the, the head nod to like these other, other fandoms, and that is completely fine. Truly. It is truly fine. But for me, just one person ...with a microphone right now, I just... It, it's its kind of odd and problematic for me. And it's just like, eh.
1: Yeah, so. I don't like it. But, but... And this is going to be jumping ahead again. If the Lost Arena is fixed... Okay, maybe I don't need to jump ahead. Okay, so, so as soon as they get the ship fixed... Eric shows up and says hey let's work together because we have a common goal now to stop the coming of Gan the the Romulan Judgment Day or Ragnarok like the apocalypse mm-hmm. and so he starts to tell them this story about the two sisters and this is bad because I didn't get the notes we know one sister is senator and what was the other one's name do you remember
0: I don't. Yeah. He was saying a bunch of gobbledygook. I couldn't Yeah, remember. a bunch
1: of, like, Romulan names. The I remember the Chahalagu is, like, the demons. Okay, but he's telling this story about the two sisters. And senator Shineb is the destroyer, and she will play a horn, and that horn will, like, launch a beacon into the sky, and it will open a hole in the sky, and the Chahalagu will come through... And they, it will bring the end of days. And that's clearly, like, what Soji is doing here, right? She mm-hmm. doesn't have a horn, but she's building this beacon that's opening up a hole in the sky. And so I was trying to think about the other sister in this story that he tells. She, it says she has a drum that she's beating with the skulls of, of dead people and, it's it's
0: made from the skin of children, right. and I think their skulls or something like that.
1: Yeah, and I'm trying to think, how does this relate to Dodge, like the other sister? And I and I I don't see a way in which like this. Maybe we just don't know enough about Dodge because she was only in one episode. But were you trying to think of how this other sister related to Dodge? Do you see any relation here with this banging on the drums?
0: The only the only thing that I can think of, because you're right, we only got, you know, an episode with Daj. You know, 45, 50 minutes, whatever. The only the only connection that I was making with that, even now as we're talking about it, is with Sutra. With her being, like, more of, like, the sinister, air quote, sister okay, to, to Soji. Is,
1: is she banging on a metaphorical drum? Like... I'm banging, I the think so. like with, I'm banging the drums of war to gin up support for my idea.
0: Yeah, because like like taking the hummingbird from um, it was either Saga or Arcana. I think it was Saga that she that she uh, took the the hummingbird pin and you know killed her with. Like that's like to try and like create her own support to go kill the universe basically. So that's the only connection I can really make between Soji and Sutra, and these two ancient Romulan sisters, or whatever.
1: Okay, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Like, the drum is a metaphorical drum, and I'm beating the drum. I, I, I can buy it. I can buy it.
0: And she and she stabbed, you know, her sister, um, who's more or less a... Or not her sister, like, one of her own, who's a child, and it was her skull that kind of died first. So. <gasps> Okay. Oh, that's oh, no, okay, that's a stretch. That's a
1: stretch. I mean, it's as good as anything. Like I didn't I couldn't <laughs> come up with it. I I was trying to think like how does this other sister relate? And I just I couldn't think of anything.
0: Well, there we have it. The more you know.
1: Yeah. So so this whole story of Gan Madan. And just, oh, so you know about Shineb and how about um the streets will be lined with half-eaten corpses and the Chahalgu will pick their teeth with the bones of the deceased, it's like, Rafi's like, oh, we didn't know about all that. Then she's like, you believe this is some kind of prophecy? And he's like, no, I believe it's history. I believe this is something that has already happened in the past, and the past repeats itself. And this is here where I am just getting all of these Battlestar Galactica vibes. One thing that was said all throughout Battlestar Galactica, and you need to go watch this, Chase, Chase you and everyone out there listening in Podcast World who has not seen Battlestar Galactica, watch it because it is amazing. Okay, but one of the things that they constantly say throughout the entire series is all of this has happened before and all of this will happen again. This idea of history repeating itself with the humans and the Cylons and this struggle they've been locked in to kind of destroy each other, right? It's happened before, it's happening again. And I'm getting all of those vibes here where Neric says, this is history and it's going to repeat itself. Like, somehow in the past, you know, organics created synthetics. They called forth this advanced synthetics. Everything was destroyed and the cycle was repeated again.
0: So I know enough about Battlestar, especially the, the updated one, to know that there is a blonde lady who is bad. At least I'm pretty sure she's bad, and she's part Cylon. She's part all, she, human. She's
1: she's all Cylon, but she is a organic Cylon, just like these synthetics here, or organic synthetics.
0: So do you? You know, a few moments ago, you were talking about. We were both talking about borrowing things. Do you feel like this was like one of those oh, 100%. borrowing of things?
1: 100% this idea of organic synthetics is borrowed from the human form Cylons from Battlestar Galactica. 100%. I don't think anyone will deny that.
0: Okay. Okay. Cool.
1: I, mean, I don't think you can deny that.
0: I, I, I mean, I'm going to go with it because... I mean... At the time of this recording, I've only seen, like, the first part of the mini series for Battlestar Galactica, the reimagining or rebooted or whatever, the two thousand something version of the Battlestar 2000,
1: 2004 version, yeah.
0: There we go. I do like me some Pa Cartwright Battlestar, that's for dang sure, from like the seventies. I like that one.
1: That is so campy. It is like <laughs> I watched I watched it once. It's kinda it's kind of difficult to watch from a modern perspective. The original Battlestar Galactica. I imagine watching it back in the 70s, it was probably amazing, but it's kind of difficult to watch from today's perspective. Yeah,
0: I love love the Sphinx helmets that they have. It's great.
1: Yeah, no, there's... No, like, I'm not going to sit here and criticize it, (laughs) but I'm just going to say it's campy. It's campy. But the original series is campy. The original series is campy.
0: Yeah, 60s and 70s television, for the most part. When it came to sci-fi pretty campy definitely okay all right so anyways we talked about uh, these two sisters you know uh, or sisters i have to do air quote sisters of of soji and and sutra potentially being the the connection between this this romulan myth legend of these two sisters and destroying of the universe and murder and all the other fun stuff Right. So, and then that... Go ahead.
1: But, but here they come up with this plan of how they're going to sneak in to Synthville and use one of these grenades to blow up this tower that they're building. Okay? But my question is, if we have just fixed the La Arena with our sonic screwdriver, why can't we just take off Fly into Synthville and shoot this thing with our phasers or our photonic torpedoes. Why do we have to sneak in and blow it up with a grenade?
0: So I was thinking that too. Um Okay, let's Yeah, let's let's talk about this for a second. Okay, yes. Why couldn't we just take that or something else, right, with some more firepower? Zip right in, blow it up. Versus taking a soccer ball, or a football for, you know, our South American and and European and Australian friends. Why 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 a, a soccer ball that comes undone with a grenade in it? Because that, that's what happens. Um, now I do have some thoughts. I think that part of it was potentially trying to be less aggressive and and more maybe more diplomatic to a certain extent because there's already this heightened fear like we talked about at the beginning of this show there's already this heightened fear that the organics just want to kill and just annihilate all synthetic life like romulans federation whatever so if we went in guns blazing with whatever armament we have that would only reinforce like what they're already thinking and feeling perhaps, as opposed to being more covert, guerrilla style with a soccer ball. The writers maybe were trying to be diplomatic like I was saying here a second ago, and like with instead of guns blazing, let's use a soccer ball to sneak in a grenade. I don't know.
1: It just seems very unnecessary and very complicated And maybe it was just, hey, we need the La Serena to be empty so the only person on it, right, later on is Picard. So he's not putting everyone's life in jeopardy by flying it into the middle of the space
0: battle. Yeah, Yeah, with just Picard and Jurati flying the thing, so. Which, I'm kind of curious about this soccer-slash-the-soccer-ball-football thing. Like, do all... 24th 25th century you know sporting equipment balls like open up like a friggin jewelry box
1: I think you're thinking about that too much <laughs> like best not best not to think about things like that too much lest your brain hurt
0: yeah well you know okay that's what happens I think and stuff comes out yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> while we're while we're still in Synthville, we're hanging out with with all the gold people and Sung and the last Serena crew. You know, they get caught. They get caught by a good old AI Soong. And and you know, how are we gonna get around without being caught? And that's a very excellent question and that just seemed odd a- to me cuz like last episode like yesterday when this happened yesterday in in the narrative he was like completely different he was dastardly sinister calculating whatever you want to call it and now he's just like so cool with it and i think part of it is him seeing the hollow part of part of it Yeah, it's because
1: he saw that that Sutra had killed um, Saga and that she is um, metaphorically beating this drum and he he says, there is um, no need for this.
0: And he takes his little pen or device and he basically kills her.
1: Yeah. So, so what is that line in *The Measure of a Man* when when Riker shuts off Data, right? What does he say? He says something when he flips his off switch.
0: We say Pinocchio is dead.
1: Yeah, something like that. I should have looked it up.
0: But I almost feel like
1: that. This is this is that same moment where you know Riker flips off Data. Shut doesn't flip him off. He shuts <laughs> him off, right? And this is this is um Alton soon doing the same thing to Sutra. He's hitting the off-switch.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will I'll eventually find it just for for the yeah, heck of it. I think I think we're both gonna do this, We might be.
1: Yeah, but you know, he he shuts her off and he says at the end of the day, you're no better than we are.
0: Yeah. So what's that even mean? What?
1: Well, I guess he's he's just trying to say that us humans are are operating... I, I To me, I took it, us humans are operating out of fear, and we're imperfect, and we have all these issues, and so do you. That's kind of the way I took it. Okay. Did you have a, a different understanding of that, or did you just not have any idea? I,
0: well... I don't know what I was thinking about that. I did find the quote, by the way, by good old Commander William T. Riker. The Commander is a physical representation of a dream, an idea conceived of by the mind of a man. Its purpose, to serve human needs and interests. It's a collection of neural nets and heuristic algorithms. Its responses dictated by an elaborate software written by a man, its hardware built by a man and now and now a man will shut it off Pinocchio it is broken its strings have been cut
1: Okay, yeah that's more that's more delivered with oomph than this scene is here but I still feel like it's the same idea that's a great quote Pinocchio is broken and its strings have been cut yeah Yeah. So then we go to this attack on the tower, which fails miserably, because of course it does, right? Because the plot demands it. The plot demanded it, and hey, I'm going to throw this grenade, and Soji's just going to catch it and chuck it up into the air, and nothing will happen because of it. I love how in movies and TV we can just chuck grenades into the air, and they'll explode, and... Okay, well, no harm done.
0: I just don't know, like, that that grenade seemed like it was just going to just explode as soon as she, I mean, caught it, like, not even caught it, but like, like how the timer was just counting down that much quicker. Of course, we didn't see, like, a numerical sequence, so we really don't know how long the timer was really set for. But still, like, if if it's like, if the beeps are becoming shorter, it's probably going to go boom a lot quicker. And the fact that there was enough time to catch it, like Captain America catches his shield, and then chuck it in the air and not blow an arm off.
1: Yeah, and chuck it far enough away where it doesn't damage your tower or any of your surrounding buildings.
0: Yeah. It was a very Scarlet Witch moment from Age of Ultron, that's for sure.
1: You're going to have to explain that.
0: I'm pretty sure it was... Was it Age of Ultron? Or was it... or was, no, or was it Civil War? I think it was no it was Civil War, I'm sorry. So there's a part where uh, Scarlet Witch, uh, played by Elizabeth Olsen, I'm pretty sure is her name.
1: Oh, is this in the opening scene mm-hmm. where where like she catches some explosion and she throws it upward and it blows up yeah. the building?
0: Except it didn't blow up a building. It just blew up a grenade. But it, it c- but
1: but it did kill a bunch of people, and that's the that was like the impetus for the signing of the Sokovia Accords. This treaty yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Okay.
0: Welcome to the Multifandom Podcast. I'm your host. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense, right? I guess.
0: So, are we in space yet? But it seems like,
1: <laughs> like, um, um, I just want to just want to say one more thing about this scene right Elnor what's the only purpose of Elnor in this episode to punch a few people right yeah to pull out his sword and say choose to live what a wasted wasted character
0: yeah and for some some listening Elnor's your favorite because of Lord of the Rings or for whatever other reason and that's okay I love me some Lord of the Rings too but he's been severely underutilized this entire season
1: I just wanted to finish that statement from that yeah. scene.
0: Little elbow action, and yeah, he like he
1: punches the guy forward and then elbows the guy yeah. behind him. Yeah.
0: All right, let's go to space, or let's let's try and go to space because this is Star Trek Picard for crying out loud. We got to have some stars involved.
1: Yeah, so Girardi with the great prison escape, right? Do you have issues with that scene?
0: I thought I was really gonna suck at being a a, a secret agent.
1: <laughs> you can do this. You can do this. I'm not their mother, asshole. Uh. So, so, so i I do have one question about, about this, this, you know, whole idea of her plan to break him out. Mm-hmm. So she is going to pretend to be on the side of the synthetics to help continue Bruce Maddox's work of transferring consciousness into this new body. And so Alton Sung takes her to Bruce Maddox's office and says, Here, you can work on this. I'm going to go back to my lab. And then she shows up, and she's basically just trying to get, get Soon out of this office so she can like rip out Sutra's eye to use it on the retinal scanner but she says at one point she says well all these files are encrypted and Bruce always said that your kung fu crypto hacker skills were the best and so my question is was she just making something up there to blow smoke up his butt and like or did she actually know that Alton Soong existed before because Presumably she hasn't seen Bruce Maddox in thirteen years since he disappeared right, right after the ban. So did did he tell her about Alton soon at some point before he disappeared? Um did she know who he was, or is she just making this up on the spot right now? I'm just curious about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, now that you mention it, I'm not too sure because Last Best Hope, the the Picard book and even the comic books, they don't there's no indication of, of A.I. soon at all, no mention of them. There's no dialogue. There's no passing remark of it. So, I mean, of course, of course, like it's, it does not escape me that, at all, that there could be these conversations that happen off screen. Of course that can happen. But, but yeah, like, did she know of him prior to coming to this planet?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think back of, is there like a surprise look on her face when Alton soon comes out in the last episode, and I can't i can't remember.
0: I know there was for Picard, that's for dang sure. Sh-
1: sh- for dang sure, sure. But um, I'm just trying to think, did she know of his existence? This is a, a nagging question that I have. Or was she just making this like up on the spot to somehow distract him and get him out of the room?
0: It's, it's very possible to, you know, try and stroke his ego a little bit, so. But, hold, hold, hold on, hold right. on. Okay. If she, ha- she had to have known about him, because wouldn't he have potentially called, see, this is us thinking way too hard about this, but wouldn't wouldn't he have been said like you're a friggin' liar man, I'm not good at hacking. So like there had to have been some kind of you know, forethought and knowledge of of AI soon existing by and, and and Maddox telling Jurati about it. Let's okay, let's yeah, let's yeah. leave that alone. It had, but it had to have happened.
1: Yeah, I, I I don't know. I'm just I think so too, and is that just an oversight or I don't know. Okay, so let's go to space. Let's finally, let's get out into space. This is called Star Trek, after all.
0: Yeah, you stole my line.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you used it about five minutes ago, so I'm just copying it.
0: <laughs> space, the final frontier. Okay, here we are.
1: Okay, so so to me, this idea of a lone small ship flying itself right into the middle of the battle and like I'm gonna do whatever I need to to stop this. I'm gonna sacrifice myself if it need be. This totally to me is the, the retaking of Deep Space Nine from the, in the Dominion War. Okay? And for those of you that aren't familiar there's this two-part episode in season six during the Dominion War Favor the Bold and the Sacrifice of Angels People always think of the episode as being Favor the Bold, but all of the space battles actually happen in the Sacrifice of Angels. For excellent
0: two-part word. episode, by the way.
1: So, oh, excellent. So the, the the Dominion has taken control of D Space Nine, but there's the Federation has placed this minefield in front of the wormhole, so no Dominion reinforcements can come through. The minefield is coming down, so the Federation is in a desperate attempt... To retake D Space Nine and take control of the wormhole so they won't lose the war. And there's this big space battle, and the Defiant is the only ship that breaks through the line. And the Defiant makes its way to D Space Nine, and Cisco says, Take us directly into the wormhole. I am going to put myself, my one lone ship, in front of this entire armada. And I'll be damned if I'm going to come out of it alive, but I'm going to stop them somehow. And I was totally getting all of those vibes from this scene right here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, the sonic screwdriver eventually makes a reappearance um, to try and do a little something-something with the ship. What, what, can what, you, what can a
1: you, dumb idea. What a dumb can idea. Can you,
0: hey, why don't like, you do something? We can call it the Picard Maneuver. Oh wait, that's already a thing. You did it on the Enterprise, didn't you? It was the Stargazer. Stargazer.
1: And it won't work here. <laughs> like, what a dumb idea. So, like, so, so, to me... I'm thinking, this is just a thought, and I've been having a lot of thoughts throughout this entire series on how to make this story- tell the same basic story, just tell it better. So, last week, when we show up to Coppelius, in on the last arena the Neric's little ship follows right behind them and they get into like a little mini space battle and the board cube comes out of transwarp at this moment wouldn't it have been a better story if the board cube comes out of transwarp here in this episode during this space battle and it can help in the aid and the defense now rather than one episode prior Because to me, that's a much better story than creating a bunch of fake sensor images of this ship. Like, because now you've got the Borg cube up against the Romulans, and it was the Romulans who were in control of this Borg cube and using it as a home and a base to exploit all the Borg thing, and now it's like these XBs are fighting back. To me, that's a much better story of hey, this is is how we're going to stall them before the Federation fleet arrives. That would
0: have been a very... Very interesting thing, yeah. Instead of having the having ten thousand, you know, pyramids crashing on the planet, basically. That.
1: Yeah, at least at least the Borg cube would have had something to do in this episode. I feel like as interesting of an idea of it was a a Borg cube that was severed from the collective and what are we going to do with it? I really don't feel like we did all that much with it this season. Something
0: you know, with the, with the Borg cube, and we go back to. Uh, just a few episodes ago when Elnor and Seven are in the Queen Chamber and trying to figure out like what to do and you know Annika Seven she be, she becomes she voluntarily becomes the Queen and at the end of that episode um, as the board Queen she's saying Annika still has work to do. That would have been interesting to still have you know, Queen 7 come in with it and all the all the XBs or like the Borg that were in stasis, right that got shot out the airlock by the way, folks for anyone that's new to Star Trek and new to the Borg and next generation era Star Trek the Borg can exist in space they can live in space.
1: Yeah, but yeah, they're not dead, but they're floating around aimlessly and you'd have to like either transport them in or go and collect them individually. It would have been
0: really interesting, in the same battle, and I'm wondering what other people might think about this idea too, to have the Borg that were shot out the airlock be picked up by a Borg cube, and then have like an enemy Borg cube come in with the XB cube, and have like a three-way fight basically. And then,
1: I think that's too. I think that's too much space fighting. I like, I like, I like my space battles, but I don't want. I don't want this to be all about the space battle.
0: And then potentially have Annika be, you know, captured by the Borg and kind of have like a uh, some kind of interaction with the Borg on that other cube. I don't know, but like there, it was kind of. We didn't really. I didn't pick up on what this. What's Annika supposed to be doing? Unless we're not supposed to find that out until season two of Picard,
1: right, Or the Seven of Nine spinoff yeah.
0: show, Star Trek: Venerus Rangers, coming fall twenty thirty two.
1: Twenty thirty two? That's a long time to wait.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. Well, whatever.
1: Yeah, but I don't know. I just thought that would have been a much more interesting story if the board cube shows up now rather than last week.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 2 it 218 like, to 1. I like those odds.
1: But it's a Borg exactly. cube, right? Even if it's not at full power, right? It's still formidable. Like I don't know if they ever said exactly how many ships were at Wolf 359. Or however many ships were at the Battle of Sector Zero Zero One, right? But I'm sure it wasn't 218.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 218 would be, you know, pretty pretty simple for a cube at this point. So, and and, and we did see the we did start to see the cube regenerate while Seven was right. was um, hooked up as the queen and doing her thing.
1: And and. And when Picard is flying up into the middle of this space battle, we flash back to the cube, and Narissa is there, and she's bringing the weapon systems online, and she's gonna try and shoot down the Lost mm-hmm. Arena. So, so the Borg has weapons capabilities to aid in this space battle here.
0: Okay, I don't, I, I'm not gonna get all bent out of shape about this this thing that I'm about to bring up. I'm really not, but. You know, we we saw in Star Trek Insurrection that there's a joystick that the Enterprise has. Okay, whatever you want to think about the joystick, that's neither here nor there. But we know that there's some kind of manual steering something for the Enterprise, right? We we can agree on that.
1: Yes, like I am going to steer this massive ship with a little tiny okay. joystick. However ridiculous that may sound. Okay. Yes. It is so instead
0: thing. of instead of like if you don't want to use like the El Cars command system, right, to to steer the ship and fly it and things like that, like all the helmsmen did, you can use the stick. And do you think that there there could have been, or that there is, and we just didn't see it, like some kind of like manual steering, manual operation of the Lost Serena besides the the hollow.
1: The, the 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 heads Stuff, up display. Yeah. I would like to think there is. I would like to think that you wouldn't have to use this hollow display.
0: Okay. Sure.
1: Sure. I would like to think so. I don't know. I mean. Sure, but um, this this Romulan fleet. How many times does Commodore O say open fire? I think she says open fire like four times. And they never want They don't even I get don't one shot off at the planet. Why are they so slow on the draw here? Like, I feel like you could have, like, in between all these moments yeah. of waiting for the next thing to happen, you could have at least gotten one shot off at the planet. Yeah. I don't know. It was really, really strange to me.
0: But yeah, like in in yeah, she, she fires off um all these you know, orders and like prepare to uh, what'd she say? Like it wasn't clinical. Planet- she,
1: she says sterilize the planet. Prepare
0: to sterilize the planet. And yeah. then she's,
1: then she says, Bring up planetary sterilization pattern number five. It's like how many planetary sterilization patterns do you have?
0: Well, let's see. Do you want it with Lysol? Do you want it with Clorox? Do you want it with some kind of Windex ammonia-based stuff? Do you want it with just soap? Or, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) do you want it with number five, which is some undisclosed sterilization solvent?
1: (laughs) It's just like, how many, how much planetary sterilization do the Romulans do?
0: You see, you see, okay. Uh, Commander Eric, can I call, can I call you Commander Eric? See, let me let me t- let me tell you about us Romulans and what we do. We like to do a very good job at cleaning stuff. Okay, so um, we've we've been doing this for like the last 20 years. So um, you know, we got this. Like, just trust us. Okay, we got this. <laughs> We we take we take our cleaning very seriously. Oh wow! <laughs> I'm sorry, I I'm broke sorry.
1: Eric. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Whew.
0: Get better. I'm
1: good. I'm good. Good.
0: All right. Well. All right. And now, now just remember that if the Romulans try and sell you some of their cleaning products, that you can only buy one in the day and age that we live in, because we have to have enough, you know, sterilization product for everyone. Okay. You yeah. Can't, but, can't like, hoard it.
1: If I hoard all the sterilization product, I'm clean. But it doesn't help if I'm clean and no one else is clean. Yeah. Well. Okay. Like everyone has to be clean, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, hope everyone enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. Where were we? Where were we?
0: Uh, well, we were talking about sterilizing the planet with some Romulan product, number five.
1: Right. right. And RP five. It's at this point where Picard and Soji start talking and what does he say? He says Um, power down this beacon, don't open it up. Um and she's like, we have to. We have to protect ourselves. And then he says something to the effect of, the Romulans are here. If we really wanted to destroy you, we could be working together to destroy you. But we trust you to make the right decision in this instance.
0: Yeah. So there's a little something that happens just before that, though. Right? Okay. So... You're right. Picard has that convo with, with Soji playing Tetris down on the planet's surface, okay? And we, we see all the green baddies. We see, you know, Commodore, General, whatever she wants to call herself in her own Romulan flagship of sorts. And then we have a whole fleet of Federation starships, of Starfleet ships that just zip right in.
1: And they're all exactly the same.
0: General. who are being hailed by by the flagship. And who pops up? Good old Captain Riker.
1: Acting Captain. Acting Captain.
0: Yeah, he still has the four pips, right? He's
1: got the he's got the four he pips. Does. He does, he does.
0: But yes, acting Captain Riker, who is commanding the Curiosity class Zhang He. Okay. Uh, um, and I wanted I wanted to to point something out, and this might not be a big deal to some of y'all uh, in the grand scheme of things, because like at first, my first viewing this, I got a little flustered. and I'm like, why isn't why isn't the enterprise the flagship? Why is it this this random name, the flagship? And here's the thing. like we've certainly, of course, we've had other uh, types of of flagships that have made appearances. like flagships are typically, the ship in which an admiral, a flag officer, is is on board and in command of, and so a flagship is something that again refers to the status of, of a ship and what what's being what's being conferred upon it. Like I said, a flag officer can be um, part of it, but it also uh, well, can a f- apply a flag to
1: off, a, a flag officer.
0: A f- Go ahead.
1: Well, a flag officer is someone who's allowed to, like, fly the flag yeah. of their the nation they're representing, and they're allowed to speak directly for like the government. That's that's my understanding.
0: Right, and, and that 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 was part of what I was about to say next was that it's it applies to a ship whenever there's a commanding officer that's in charge of a grouping of ships. So in this case. Captain Riker is in charge of this this fleet, this squadron, whatever the heck we want to call this grouping. Um, but flagships are also for uh, the the ship the, that exemplify the most exemplary um, aspects and capabilities and vir- virtues of the force forces in which it's it's uh, representing. So, you know, the, the Enterprise is usually the flagship of Starfleet. Okay, it's Almost every iteration, not all, but almost every iteration of the Enterprise has been the flagship. And the only reason this is a, the Zheng He is considered the flagship is because of Riker. And, of course, the firepower and everything that, that the ship has and things like that. Um, fun fact for anyone wondering, the Zheng He is a redress, or at least the bridge, is a redress of the Discovery. Bridge.
1: Yeah, I, di- I didn't really notice
0: that. But um, anyways, when I watched this on Thursday, my mouth was like, oh my god. It was just a gape. I was just like, I was fanboying like crazy. I was like almost in tears because I was so happy. Didn't I say, I'm, this isn't one of those like, I told you so kind of moments, but it's one of those like, I mentioned this in a previous show, like, I just want to see Riker... I said on the Titan, but I'm like, I just want to see Captain Riker on the bridge, doing his thing. I'm pretty.
1: You did say that, right? At the at the end of Nepenthe, um, Riker kind of offhand, there's a comment he says, "I'm I still am on active reserve, but it would take something major to get me a, to come out of retirement." And we were both like, the only reason to include that line is we're going to see him later. Coming out of retirement, so for some yeah. reason,
0: yeah. And here he is, and he's talking him down. And this, this scene felt so much like Star Trek. Just, it felt like I don't even want to just say next gen. It just felt like Star Trek to me. Not that this this show isn't Star Trek. I hope this makes sense. It just it felt like what I've grown up with with Star Trek.
1: Yeah, it felt like you have two sides ready to be in conflict and they're like, the Federation has declared this planet under our protection as you know in accordance with the Treaty of Algeron. And like, no, our press, our claim takes precedence. No, ours does, no ours does. And they're at this standoff and somehow, Right, we have to be talked down, right? The, f- the the situation isn't resolved by fighting, but it's revolved through some sort of diplomacy. Mm-hmm. And we saw all through The Next Generation, Captain Picard with his ability to give a speech and disarm the situation. And this was a very Captain Picard, John Luke Picard speech-heavy episode. Yeah. He was doing a lot of speeches in this episode. And it did feel like Star Trek in this instance I I totally understand exactly what you're saying.
0: Yeah. And, and one thing I want to point out about the Treaty of Algeron cuz like some people might not be aware of some of it. I think up to this point in the timeline we've we've heard Algeron referenced in in relationship to cloaking technology not being used, basically. But there's also a little bit more to it and it has to do with uh, reinforcing and re, uh, redefining the Romulan Neutral Zone, and made it clear that any violations of the zone without adequate notification by either side would be considered an act of war. And that's why it was important that that there was that that message that popped up when Picard was trying to get a hold of Starfleet, saying, "I'm I'm requesting emergency." Um, uh, Crap! What do you say? Um, I need emergency permission, basically, for a first contact scenario and protecting yeah, of the citizens of to, to open up to, o- to open up diplomatic relations
1: you. in a first contact situation with the inhabitants of Golion Folger. Right,
0: because of where it is in relationship to stuff. So that's why that notification was important, as it relates to the Treaty of Algeron and what's taking place between the Romulans and Starfleet in this particular space scene, and what Riker's doing in trying to talk people down.
1: Yeah, but, but, um, Riker's trying to talk people down, but, but Commodore O, or General O, or whatever you call him, uh, give me a reason to kick your treacherous Telsiar ass. Just tempt me.
0: I love that.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's like, just, just give me a reason to kick your treacherous Telsiar ass. <laughs> and then she's like, all, all ships prepare to fight. Like, she's not backing down. She is saying, we're going toe-to-toe to to you. This has been my life's work to destroy these synthetics, and I'm not just going to give up because you named some treaty to me.
0: Right, this is where that little communique between Picard and Soji takes place, and, like, the beacon, like, the lighthouse goes off. There's some weird, like, tentacle control thing that's coming up out of this little portal, and... Picard talks Soji down. She smashes it. She does Hulk smash on the console. The the centipede control AI, whatever, from the pit of hell goes back in, and all of a sudden the Romulans are like, oh, okay, we're good.
1: Yeah, and, and to me, like I like the fact that the battle ended through, you know, Picard convincing one side to stand down, right? I said last week, don't let this battle be won on the battlefield, but the Romulans, the Jatvash mission, centuries-old mission to eradicate all synthetic life because of this pure loathing, do you really think they would give up that easily and say, oh, well, you know, these synths, they decided not to bring the end of days, so we're all just gonna pack up our stuff and go home and say, good luck, synthetics. I didn't believe that.
0: No, because like it's it's this secret society that we've talked about, right? I mean, yeah, it, it's it's a secret society. It's a society within a society within a society, and it's it's a little difficult to believe that that they would just be like totes okay with just yeah, like saying okay, you know, since you're not gonna try and you know kill us like with your your evil you know, centipede from hell, evil, then we're good.
1: Yeah. Evil space demons through your portal in the sky. Yeah, We're good. Yeah.
0: You know, we're, we're going to, we're going to escort you back to Romulus. It's really not a problem at all. Riker says.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but uh, and then, yeah. So the, all the Romulan warbirds warp out of there. And then Picard talks to Riker and he says, will thank you for always having my back. And will's like, what'd you think? I was just going to make pizza in the woods hell no like of course i was going to come here and help you and then he's like i leave this situation in your capable hands and all of the ships just warp away like don't you think they would leave like a squadron of ships behind a small part of it behind to like let's just wait a few days to see if this situation is all resolved
0: that's how it would typically work right like like yeah, al- we're not just all just gonna leave right away. Yeah, like any mission that we would see on the Next Generation or Voyager, or not sorry not Voyager, Next Generation or Deep Space Nine. You know, yes, Deep Space Nine was near Bajor, but even if there was like a Federation ship, it would still camp out near DS Nine or whatever thing was going on. You know, for like uh, there were multiple occasions where like a ship would be there for like a week. You know, like, making sure that things were getting back to normal on the planet. So, anyway. I did read that the ships that were in the the Federation fleet were done very last minute. Because there wasn't enough, like, uh, production budget. There
1: wasn't budget enough product, pr- pr- production budget, yeah. To be able to do it. Which strikes me as so odd. I would think that you would have almost an unlimited budget for a show like this. Obviously, it's not unlimited, but you would think they would have all the money they really needed. Yeah,
0: there were a couple close-up shots. Um, I think they were close-up. To me, there were a couple ships that looked like a Sovereign class that were in there. Like, a lot of them looked like Sovereign classes to me.
1: I thought they were all exactly the same type of ship. Which I did
0: go back and read that they were all basically the same model that were used for the entire fleet. Which makes me wonder... If is the Zhang Hei, if we know that the Zhang He is a Curiosity class starship, and that it's the biggest, baddest Mamma out in the fleet right now. Does that mean that they're all Curiosity class, or are they all like Akira? Are they Sovereign? Are they, I mean, what are they?
1: Well, what Riker said is I'm on the bridge of the biggest, baddest starship that Starfleet has ever created and i've got a whole squadron of them or a whole fleet of them behind so there we go so yeah they're all so it makes it makes me think that they're all exactly the same
0: so i is that is his flagship the flag is is the zheng he the flagship by virtue of him being the acting captain
1: potentially okay. I, that's what i thought okay. but but I, I do have one comment about this this fleet the biggest baddest starship that Starfleet has ever created and I've got a whole fleet of them so wasn't the whole idea of we couldn't rescue the Romulans we couldn't help them because we didn't have enough ships we didn't have the resources to build enough ships and then Mars is the home of the utopia planitia shipping yards where we are building that's where we build all of our ships Certainly, we've got space dock and other places, but all of our ships are basically built on Mars and the whole shipping yard on Mars was destroyed. Mars is still on fire to this day, 14 years later. So if we didn't have the ships and the resources to save the the Romulans back then, how do we have the resources to build this massive fleet of the biggest and baddest ship that we've ever created? That just, I didn't quite understand that.
0: I mean, that's a fair question. I mean, we know that, yeah, like, that there's been, that Mars is still on fire. And, and to me, it's never made sense to build ships on the ground. I mean, that's why we, we usually have, like... Well,
1: but the ship, the shipping yard is, is not on the ground, is it?
0: No, it's not. But, like, if you remember, I think it was from the... Sec... Second episode with the flashback we had with with F eight and all the Mars stuff. There were a lot of ships and stuff that were being built, or there was a lot of construction that was taking place for ships on the surface of Mars. So I mean, we, there are certainly other other construction yards um, throughout the Federation besides Mars. We know that. Uh,
1: yeah, but that's but it's the the, main yeah, it's, it's
0: the one. main one. So I don't I don't know. I mean maybe some things happened. Maybe they decided to go to Neptune and create a new shipping yard or a new construction yard out near Neptune. I don't know. That's I
1: don't know. It just it just struck me as that was the whole point of why we couldn't save the Romulans, is that we didn't have enough ships and we didn't have enough resources. Yeah. But now you've got the resources to build this big fleet of super advanced ships. And I know fourteen years has passed and you can build a lot of ships in 14 years, but I thought the point was, we don't have the resources.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alright, so... Gang, we are in the last, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes of this show. 5 to 10 minutes of this show. Not not our podcast, but of Star Trek Picard.
1: I think there was like actually like 15 minutes left in this episode. Well, we're,
0: we're still like in the last chunk of it, with what happens next. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. So,
1: this is the point I think that's going to be difficult for the both of us to talk about here. Because we've both got some... We have thoughts. Ideas. We have thoughts. Um, so... Back in episode two, right? Yes. Picard has his visit with Dr. Ayun. And he says, you're perfectly fit except for this abnormality in your parietal lobe which I went to Memory Alpha and this is this abnormality in the parietal lobe is what could cause eriomatic syndrome I don't know why this show has been so hesitant to say eriomatic syndrome I don't understand why
0: maybe they're just not wanting to give someone royalties from next gen I don't know
1: (laughs) maybe (laughs) But, but then, that storyline basically went away, right? We saw it in that episode, and then there was nothing. They didn't allude to it at all. And I almost forgot about it before they brought it up last episode. Yeah. And now, all of a sudden, like, like that, with the snap of a finger, this has accelerated to the point where Picard is going to die within minutes. And I know he takes a drug... To keep himself like active and maybe this this drug that he takes accelerates the condition. Right? And maybe that has something to do with it. But I feel like if that was this if this is the path that you're going down, that Picard is going to die. And if you watch the Ready Room, all all three of the, the main producers, Michael Shabon and Kiefer Goldsman, and Alex Kurtzman say They knew right from the very beginning that Picard was going to die at the end of this. That was always their plan.
0: Yeah, the plan was always kill Jean-Luc.
1: That was always the plan. And so if that was always the plan, I feel like instead of just mentioning this idea in Episode 2 and then forgetting about it for six episodes, you could have... Sprinkled in a little bit of things there to make it more believable that this condition would accelerate so fast and Picard would deteriorate so quickly.
0: Yeah, because like they were, uh, Dr. Benion was was also talking about like these are the symptoms that you could experience, uh, like some some um, anger outbursts, and I think he was talking beyond the news interview, right? Like,
1: well, I think I think he was trying to say that that. How you acted in the news interview could be a result of this condition.
0: So, uh, anyway, like I don't, let, let's let's keep going because I, I have some some thoughts I want to talk about towards the end about this whole thing.
1: Okay, so then Picard he died. He's basically he collapses on the bridge of the La Serena. They beam him down to Synthville, and. He basically dies on the ground everybody's around him being held by Rafi being
0: held by Rafi as he dies
1: Rafi is Rafi is crying soji's holding back tears Elnor is holding back tears and he basically he dies on the ground here in the middle of sinfil yeah and and listen last week we talked about this on the podcast we said at the end of Star Trek Picard would you be okay with Jean-Luc Picard dying? He's on one last heroic mission, he saves the day, and he dies, whether it be as a result of what happens on this mission or he's lived a long enough life and he's done one last heroic thing and he passes away of old age. And both of us said, yes, 100%, absolutely, we would be okay if Jean-Luc Picard died at the end of Star Trek Picard. Yeah. Neither one of us thought it would happen right now. I know, I believe you mentioned that there was a fan theory out there on the internet that said Picard was going to become a synth.
0: Yeah, that Picard's going to die, and, or they're going to try and cure his brain abnormality, and the golem that we saw in episode 9 is going to be used for Picard to survive. And it was one of those, I called it, kind of moments
1: and I believe we both went
0: Boo! Yeah, I wasn't too crazy about the idea. Two, th-
1: two, th- two thumbs down.
0: Yeah, I wasn't too crazy about, about the idea uh, last week. And... Yeah, so... We, we have... We have Picard. He's dead. And next thing we know, he shows up in this flat, gray, painted room with all these different keys and books and stuff and next thing we know is we see data in his in his movie era uniform approaching picard and picard's like am i dead yes captain
1: well first he says oh another dream oh and yeah this, this says, isn't a dream no it's not a dream it's a it's a complicated quantum simulation Right, that you're here. Although, I suppose it would look very much like a dream you would have of me if you ever dreamed of me. Yeah. Yeah, and I gotta say, this, this scene with Data here might be my favorite scene of the entire season. I love this scene. Right? This, this entire show was somehow at its core about Picard struggling to deal with the loss of Data and Data sacrificing himself for Picard 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's how we opened the show, right? With Picard having a dream of Data on the Enterprise. The whole beginning, right? Dodge was Data's daughter, right? So that's what brought him into this. That's why he wanted to help Soji so much, right? We see that in the episode Nepenthe, Where he's talking to Soji about why she should trust him. And so, I love this scene here at the end. I really love this scene between Picard and Data. And this is some kind of like a bookend to the entire show. And end the episode with this. Okay? If you just stop it right here. With Picard and Data talking. I'm good. I'm good end of season one I am so happy with what had happened
0: yeah and for the Harry Potter fans listening this if you if you haven't seen well if you have I guess if you have seen it and you're listening to this episode and you've also read and seen the Harry Potter movies there's a moment in uh, the last book of Harry Potter and certainly in the last Harry Potter movie where Harry Potter dies and he's at this ethereal King's Cross station where all the students go to go to Hogwarts. And Dumbledore is there, and then there's like this weird dying body of Voldemort that's bloody and on the ground. And Harry asks Dumbledore, you know, is this real? Am I dead? Is this all in my head? And he's like, Dumbledore's like, well, of course it's it's real. Just because it's in your head, why would that make it any less real type of thing? And then Harry ends up going back into the real world, basically. He's not dead for reasons in-universe that make sense. And that was that was the kind of thing that I was experiencing as I was watching this scene play out. I was like, okay, maybe Picard's okay, And that he's just like passed out, he got like a major conk on the head, something. And this is like a way that his subconscious is, is, you know, trying to explain away some stuff and come to terms like with Data. I don't know, something like that. And you're right, had it just ended there with the conversation between Picard and Data, that would have been it, been totally fine. And then there could have been some kind of in-universe explanation of whatever. I And I, I know I've mentioned this to you, Eric, and you don't like it, and that's okay. But if this was, like, a Q thing, where he's, like, in this, like, Q continuum kind of creation, kind of like we see in Tapestry.
1: In Tapestry, yeah. You know,
0: that could have made sense, too. Like, maybe Q just, like, went in and was, like, you know, and grabbed him, and they're doing this thing. But that could
1: have made sense. That would have made for a better story than what we got, I think.
0: And, and we see, you know, of course, we see the people mourning at different places, different parts of Synthville, which, before I, before I get too far off track, I do want to say, for me, watching this, the, the area where Rafi and Elnor were, were sitting and hanging out at with their own mourning totally reminded me, and it could very well be the same location, as the location of Geordi and Picard on the hill at sunrise in Insurrection. So, huh?
1: I didn't. I didn't even think about it. That. Looked it
0: looked very similar. It could have been the same location for all I know. So, anyway, but what happens next gave me a lot of something with with what happens after Picard and Data had their conversation, and Data's like, "I just want to die." Let me die. You know, a, a butterfly is not a butterfly if a butterfly lives forever. I endeavor... No, and,
1: I, and, and, and I love that, though, that Data wanting to die because he says, he says that friendship and all these relationships, they're meaningful because we know they can't endure and that life has to be finite in order to have meaning to it. And I don't want to die. I'm asking you to turn off my consciousness, not because I want to die, but because I want to live. I really want to live for this however brief moment of time that I will have after that. And I think that's a brilliantly philosophical thing to think of. Yeah.
0: And call it irony, call it whatever you will, but hearing Data say that and then what happens next just seems kind of odd. It landed weird for me. Hearing Data say that, and then what happens next?
1: how saying life is finite and it has to end for anything to have any meaning, and then Picard is resurrected into the golem? Yes. That is a weird juxtaposition. You're right. So let's go back to this, the ready room, and Michael Shabon, Akiva Goldsman, and Alex Kurtzman. They had said their plan all along was for Picard to die. But their plan was never for Picard just to die. It was always for him to die and come back somehow. And what is their reasoning, their rationale that they say in this interview? They all say that um, if you're going to say synthetic life is every bit as valuable as human life and that... Data's life is just as important as Picard's is just as important as anybody else on the Enterprise. That Picard has to go all the way and take that final step and say, "I'm going to be your advocate with the Federation, but I can only be your advocate if I've taken that next step and become one of you."
0: That's not that's not right at all.
1: But that's what they say. I I know. I,
0: I know. I know. My my yeah. mandate, so again, I'm sorry, Eric, for bringing this up, but like I can't help it because it's what I do. Like my mandate as a mental health professional has an advocacy component to it, but it doesn't mean that I have to have PTSD to advocate for, you know, veterans that have PTSD and need access to care. It doesn't mean that I need to be I'm going to be as delicate and respectful as i can it doesn't mean that i need to identify as trans or gay or whatever it might be to advocate for the lgbt community i don't have to take on that identity to still do good work for them and that's an issue for me with what they were saying
1: no and i'm i'm right there with you i am 100 percent in your corner on this i he can still be their advocate without becoming one of them
0: how many times in in 90s star trek okay we won't even just call it next gen okay cuz picard pops up here and there and everywhere in 90s trek and like the decisions and the impact that he makes it it, it reverberates how many times was he an advocate without becoming this other
1: um a lot let me start to count um (laughs) yeah a lot that's like that's the whole persona of Jean-Luc Picard is that he is the advocate for the for those who can't speak for themselves he is the advocate for the downtrodden he's the person that's going to stand up for you because that's what he believes is the right thing to do yeah that's why we love Jean-Luc Picard.
0: I feel like, and I'm not trying to be funny, I'm actually trying to be very serious and level-headed about this right now. I know there are many out there that loved how this this came out, loved it. And I'm very happy for you that you loved it. I am I'm hurt and I'm brokenhearted right now about what happened to Jean-Luc. And I might be overreacting, I might be too close to the material, like with it just having released just a few short days ago but I am I'm grieving the loss of Jean-Luc right now even though we have him walking around right now it's not him and I know that there's been this message god I feel so silly I'm getting emotional over a fictional character I'm sorry Eric
1: no, no, it's like fictional characters. They're not just fictional characters. They're, they're people that mean something to us, right? It's like people say, oh, it's just, a, it's just a TV show. It's not just a TV show. This is something that's been important to you throughout your life. It's something that's had a great impact and a great meaning on you, and it's not wrong to feel emotional to them. It's not wrong to feel a connection to them. And it's not wrong to be hurt by the things that happen to them. That's not wrong.
0: I've you know, we've we've heard in more ways than one in this first season that you know, as Picard is talking to Dodge on the bench in San Francisco. So what you're saying is I'm not real and that my memories aren't real. Or however however the heck he says it, okay? He's like, No, I'm saying that your experience is, is real and that, you know, you are who you are basically. And that is real. And say, saying the same thing to Soji more or less when they're on Nepenthe Kestra saying basically some of the, some similar stuff as well when they're having their girl talk, you know, either in the house or in the woods. I know that Star Trek is about getting us to think considering different things and how we approach material and how we think of things. This is a fundam this is a fundamental change for Jean-Luc. And I can accept Soji, Daj, Sutra, Jana, Saga. Arcana all of them the way they are like the this beautifully this beautiful 50-50 combo I can totally be okay with that we have 30-ish years I'm sorry we have 33 almost 33 years of this character and I'm, I'm doing my best not to to be a, to sound like a gatekeeper or a, an, an angry nerd troll but the person that we see come out of that tube, out of that whatever it is that he came out of, is not Jean-Luc. I don't care if he looks like him. That is not Jean-Luc. I don't care if there was a, a neural map. I, Right now, just a few days after this comes out, I cannot presently accept it. Okay, so if you're listening to this six years from now, I might have been able to accept it by then. But to me, Jean-Luc died in Rafi's arms. In fact, I would say Jean-Luc died on the bridge after Riker said, see you later. That is not, that is, I just can't, I cannot presently accept that. So give me some grace and mercy for y'all listening right now. I'm just processing it on my own. And I don't know where you're at with this, Eric. And Jean-Luc just means Um, so dang um, much to me.
1: I'm trying to think of other science fiction potentially where a character dies and um, somehow they're resurrected in some instance. Um,
0: well, I, 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 Dr. Do- Doctor, Dr. Doctor Who ahead. does that, but they're, okay. they're different bodies. They're the same character, but they're different bodies, but it is the same
1: consciousness. It's the same
0: consciousness. So it, but it, it makes sense. In that universe, I can, and and there's a grieving process that we all go through in Doctor Who because like we've we've either grown to love or hate or eventually get comfortable with that incarnation of the Doctor in Doctor Who. But this is, I feel I feel like a, a, an idiot and, and like a hypocrite for saying this, but it, it's so different with Doctor Who than it is with Star okay. Trek.
1: Okay, I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask you a question. I'm gonna ask you a question right now, and I'm just this just came to me is Spock that we see in all of the later incarnations of Star Trek right starting with Star Trek 3 the movie and everything onward is that the real Spock or did or can can you accept that Spock because Spock died on the Enterprise in the Wrath of Khan and they sent his corpse to the Genesis planet and somehow it was regenerated. So is the Spock we see after that? Is that the real Spock? Or did Spock die? And what we have now is some kind of recreation that you can't accept.
0: I think I'm more willing to accept that Spock, like Spock 2, <laughs> from from the movies than I am with this, because you're still... You have your Vulcan mysticism and stuff, right? Like the the... Your katra, like they, they the, the Vulcans have a thing about that. Like, your body can die, but it can be resurrected as long as the katra's safe. And it's—and we—and okay. we have the biological stuff of him. It, I, God, I,
1: I. So so ma- so mapping Picard's substrates is somehow different than the Vulcans' katra because that's a part of them as a
0: species? I guess so. I don't know, dude. Like, I, I, I probably sound like a jerk for, for this, but I guess so. I don't know. Maybe I need to cut all this.
1: <laughs> okay. And then, so, so one thing that just also popped to my mind in what we're doing here is, do you watch uh, a- uh Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.?
0: I watched, like, the first- The television I watched, show? like, um, a little bit of it, but not too much.
1: Okay, so so our main character in Agents of Shield is Phil Colson, sure. right, from the movies. And um spoiler spoiler alert for people that have not seen this. In season five, at the end of season five, Phil Colson dies. Like right, we know he died in the Avengers movie, but they used techno they used um Cree technology to bring him back to life. So this is like the real Phil Coulson still but then he legitimately dies at the end of season five okay and then in season six Clark Gregg comes back the actor who plays Phil Coulson in a totally unrelated role right somehow something happened so a new entity was created in the same likeness of Phil Coulson but it's not the same character then at the very end of Season 6, and Season 7, which is going to be the last season, hasn't come out yet. So we don't know, I don't know how it's going to play out. But at the ver- there's this thing that happens in Season 4 where they create life model decoys. Which are basically like super advanced androids that they can transfer people's consciousnesses into. And at the very end of Season 6, they create one of these LMDs, life model decoys of Phil Coulson and supposedly they have put his consciousness into this new body and so that's a similar idea and season seven of that hasn't come out yet so we don't know exactly how that's going to play out and we do, I don't know I am not a huge Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan I'm a huge Marvel fan I don't know how the fan community has reacted to that yet and how they will continue to react to yeah. that. But I think that might be a similar thing to pay attention okay. to.
0: Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I haven't kept up or really know too much about Agents of Shield, but that's that's interesting. And yeah, I'm wondering what the, you know, comic book and Marvel fans, or and just fans of the show will will think of that because I I know nothing about about any of that stuff right now. But I mean, I don't know. Do you have like uh, similar or, or different um, thoughts and feelings and reactions to? this whole Picard going into a a golem kind of thing?
1: I'm not going to be as emotional as you are about it. I think it is a bad creative choice. Um, It's not one that I would have made. And I do agree that Picard is dead in my opinion. Like, he is dead. And we just have to accept that Who we are seeing now is not really Jean-Luc Picard. And I wonder if storyline moving forward could be people not accepting this new golem Picard as the actual Picard. I think that could make for interesting storyline as we move forward.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: But I agree. It is a... A fundamental change in Star Trek one that I don't care for
0: yeah yeah so uh, guys like I, I'm, I'm sorry the if I was the wet blanket in all this um, this I, I've read in different in different parts of, of uh, you know news reports about this this episode and and on social media that this is a very or or has come across as a very polarizing episode for Star Trek not just Star Trek Picard but just as Star Trek in general so uh, you know regardless of how you feel about it and how you how you experienced it and what you like or don't like about it that's totally fine just don't hate tweet me for how I'm thinking and reacting to the same thing with Eric I mean Eric doesn't Twitter, so that's that's fine.
1: You can hate tweet me all you want, because I won't see it. <laughs> <laughs> There's nowhere to send yeah. it.
0: <clears throat> Unless they email the station and they're like, "This is for Eric," then I'll then I'll pass it on to you, Eric. Okay,
1: all right. <laughs> hey, I'll I'll do the. Is it as on the Jimmy Kimmel show? I don't watch it, but I know don't they do something where they like read angry fans yeah. tweets?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, angry. Yeah, like hate tweets or angry tweets from fans or something like that, yeah. So,
1: yeah, hey, I'll read them online. I'll read them here. Like 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 if you legitimately want to say something and be angry at me and say I'm a total idiot and I'll read it. It's, it'll be fun.
0: <laughs> well, and anyways, like they Anyway, so so Picard comes out of his chamber. His Golem Picard comes out of his chamber and We find out that he doesn't have superpowers like all the other synths might have had, like no super high jump, so he's not going to be competing in the Olympics on the high jump or anything like that, or not going to be doing any competitive lifting. He's going to have...
1: Not going to be part of the World's Strongest Man competition. No,
0: he's got arthritis. He's still going to huff and puff when he goes up and down stairs. He's all the same. He's all the same. And uh, there we have it. He's all the same, and he's... Drinking some cocoa or some decaf Earl Grey tea, and talking to AI Soong and you know Mama Jurati, their creators about it, and um, and then they have this very um, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful death scene with uh, with Data um, as he starts quoting the Tempest, which I did know. The
1: Tempest. I, I did know that too. Uh, from the ready room trivia question,
0: I knew that just because I I love Shakespeare and, anyways, I've talked about that before, um, but it was it was beautiful seeing um, Data not have to die alone like he did in Nemesis. Mm-hmm. And
1: it was also interesting, like this is totally the way they like deactivated Hal in two thousand one, a space odyssey, very reminiscent where they pull the little crystals out and then the light flickers and dims
0: and I like I kind of I, I mean I did enjoy the fact that Picard is in his uh, TV uniform his his next generation TV uniform and Data is in like his like Hugh Hefner you know smoking jacket type of thing and I don't know if you noticed this just like but we start... So we started out with, with them at the beginning of this season in Ten Forward, in a dream sequence. And then we have them in Chateau Picard, basically. And the pillow, if you look at the pillow, it has the same uh, uh, design as the wall in, in Ten Forward. Like with like the, the diagonal square-looking things, if you know what I'm talking about.
1: Okay, yeah, I didn't notice yeah. that. That's interesting. So I thought
0: that was like a a cool little thing that they did. And uh anyway.
1: And and I know you're you're the music guy. Um but over this whole death scene, we start to play the song Blue Skies, which is what Data was singing in Nemesis at, at Will and Deanna's wedding, which B-4 started to sing at the end of Nemesis. And in the opening scene of this show right we're flying through space and we're playing Blue Skies and now we're having it played here again for Data's death scene and it's being sung by Issa Briones who plays Soji Mm -hmm. and I really think it's a really touching and beautiful and poignant to hear this song play throughout this really good scene with Data finally Mm -hmm. dying
0: yeah I've, I've I've enjoyed Blue Skies for quite a while um, I think even before uh, Nemesis came out I, w- I enjoyed that song and I liked what they did I, to me I felt like it's it's been a song that's been starting to get a little overused within Star Trek um, but I thought it was very appropriate what they did the thing that I, I would have rather enjoyed because it would have been like a, a bookend with when we first meet Data on the holodeck in Encounter in Farpoint, where he's leaning against a tree trying to whistle. Trying to whistle. I would have loved it if he would have just started whistling "Blue Skies." Okay. Or, or, yeah. or had some whistling going on, you know, alongside the the song that was playing. And him fight, fi-
1: or or if Soji would have if Soji started to whistle mm-hmm. in that moment,
0: some kind of whistling I think would have like brought it up perfectly, and uh, in fact my my, my wife and I we were watching, uh, it was my second viewing, her first viewing, she said that she almost like cried, or and like audibly gasped because she found it to be so beautiful that as Data died that the red in the uniform on Picard and like the dark and the blue on on data how it faded into the nebula that we see and she's like yeah. that was just so beautiful that was such a beautiful shot and i'm like i agree
1: yeah it was really really well done
0: yeah so and that's more or less it i mean we we get like a quick little montage of sorts or a quick little pan of, of like what's going on in the Lost Serena, we find out that Seven and, um, Rafi are kind of in a relationship now, and,
1: yeah, and don't even get me started on, on the angry internet trolls who have torn this episode apart for that one little two second scene. Yeah. Get over it. <laughs> well, no, seriously, like, 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 get over it. <clears throat>
0: I, I don't know anything about it. I guess I've stayed away from that part of the internet, but, I mean, it is what it is, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's ne- the synth band, like we've, we've said, has been removed and free to, to, you know, move about the cabin, you know, type of thing. And, and then next thing you know, we have Rios looking at Picard, and he very, in, in a strong manner, says, Engage. And that's it. Credits roll, and Shazam, we're done with the first season of Picard. Yes, we are. And, you know, here we are, done with this very lengthy lengthy um, episode of Engage. And part of that's my fault with getting all emotional for about ten minutes.
1: <laughs> no, so, so let's try and wrap this up quickly, because I know there's probably a lot of things that we both want to say but we're going to come back in two or three weeks and feel like I've got so many more thoughts. We could go on for so much longer with this episode, but I think a lot of what I want to say is in context of this episode and how it relates to the rest of the season. So I've got a lot of thoughts that I'll just save for a couple of weeks when we come back and put this whole thing together. That'll work.
0: All right. So, um... So, uh I'll...
1: I'll go first with my rating, so that way you can compose yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, bud. (laughs) Okay. So, in a lot of ways, this feels like a really classic Star Trek episode, and a lot of the choices that they made here, I was very happy with. And had this episode ended five minutes sooner than it did, I would be a lot happier. I'm gonna give this episode a seven and a half. If it had ended five minutes earlier than it would, I think I'd give it a nine. But I think those last five minutes dropped this down to about a seven and a half for me. Sure.
0: Sure. And I know uh, pre-show talking to you, Eric, that um, I was pretty, I was pretty, uh, pretty rough on this episode just in our pre-show and i'm i'm honestly right there with you that had this ended right about the time that riker says peace out i leave this in your very capable hands i'm right there with you this would be a 9 a high 8 a low 9 something like that but with everything that happens after that and having heard me say my piece about stuff this is in a a high six, low seven for me.
1: Okay, that's pretty, uh, pretty big drop off there.
0: I mean, yeah.
1: No, but I understand. I understand everything that you said. I understand exactly where you're coming from in that respect.
0: So, I don't know. I might feel differently about this in two or three weeks. You know, whenever we do our our retrospective on the season, and uh, and and we'll. We'll talk about it. We're, we're going to talk about the whole season. We're going to try and keep it as tight as we can, uh, talking about the season, because I know that these episodes are long, and you've heard a lot of our thoughts on on these engage episodes that we do. So uh, Eric and I will talk and and plan about how we're going to go about it. Uh, so for for right now, we don't have a firm date uh, that we'll be we'll be doing this, but it'll probably be. Um, probably releasing somewhere around uh, the 12th or the 19th of April, if I'm being honest uh, at this point. That could certainly change, but we're going to be looking around that time. So certainly pay attention to um, our, our social media as well as any uh, TRTV news that comes out between now and then for when that retrospective will take place. Now, um, we certainly want to talk to other people about what you think about the whole season. So we're going to be planning that as well. And I think didn't I mention that last week in engage or or something like that? I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah, you you
1: you said if there's any fans out there that would like to come on and talk on the podcast and give their opinions of of this show. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love to have a discussion from you and if we could get, you know, three or four or five people to come on in little mini segments. We would yeah. love like to do that.
0: So yeah, these these little mini episodes that would be would be wonderful, uh, you know, like thirty minutes, an hour, whatever it might be, and go from there. So, uh, with that, guys, uh, thank you for humoring us for this long. I know this is certainly one of our longer, engage episodes, uh, and that's that's perfectly fine. Um, you know we want to hear from you. We want you to participate in these this future uh, like fan reactions to to the first season of Picard. So um, check out our, our social media where you can uh, get in contact with us. You can certainly contact us through the normal um, hailing frequency channels that we have. So uh, with that, um, love to hear from you and you can uh, get in contact with us by opening hailing frequencies. You can enter in coordinates TR TV Pod. At gmail.com, You can also uh, send us a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. Remember that there is a three-minute time limit, and your comments may be used on a future episode of Engage, These Are the Voyages, or TRTV News. Now, finally, if you want to send us a letter um, with your thoughts or whatever it might be, you can do that by making sure it gets to the Lone Star Station by entering in coordinates P.O. Box 2455. Azle, Texas, that's A Z L E, 76098. Guys, thank you for being on this journey with us. Thank you for engaging with us. And uh, as always, be bold to go and make it so.